0: The reading today is taken from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 to 40. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months for after he was born, because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute rehab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and rooted foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you so much, Gary. We've got a really exciting passage for us this morning to reflect on and uh, we do want God to help us to understand this well so that we might apply it well. So let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we reflect on Hebrews 11, we might understand what faith is And that we might be given such faith to believe, just like those faithful ones of old. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the topic for today is the topic of faith. Now, when we talk about faith, what do we mean? Or when you talk about faith, what do you mean? Is faith a matter of something that some have and some don't? What do you think? One of the tougher jobs as a minister and yet also one of the greatest privileges is to be able to walk with God's people, to minister to God's people, especially as they age towards the end of life. Just yesterday I visited one in a nursing home who no longer has his mind with him. But one of the privileges but also one of the tough jobs is to minister to such people. See, our job is to prepare people not just for life, but also for death. And it's also a privilege to be involved in funerals. Now, that might sound strange, but it is a privilege to walk and to minister to families left behind. And in my time at this church, I've conducted, in fact, more funerals than I have weddings, a few more funerals than weddings. And I still remember a funeral from last year here in this space, in this church, the funeral of one of our beloved members. After the service, one of the older gentlemen, he came up to me afterwards, and not a Christian man, he must have been struck by something during the service, during the funeral, and he came up to me and he, and he said to me, I wish I had that type of faith. And so let me ask you, is faith a matter of some have it and some don't? well, I can't exactly remember what I said to that man, but this is what I would have said or should have said. You know how you're always wiser after the situation. Well, this is what I would have said. The reality is that you do have faith. But the question is, what is it in? The question is, is it misplaced? Now, wouldn't that be a wonderful response to that man? You see, we all believe in something. The real question is whether it's misplaced faith. You see, if it's not in God, it can really be in anything else and everything else. I mean, we have people talk about, I believe, in Mother Nature or in science. It's all about reason. Or it's about what I've read or what I've been told and taught. It can be really anything. Or it can even be in what I think inside I mean, that's very common in our society, isn't it? Very common in Melbourne. I believe what I think. But if you think about living that way, it means then that I have to ground my whole existence, my whole way of viewing this world on what I think. I mean, that is a huge burden to bear. Can I really trust myself that much? You see, we all believe in something. The question is, is it misplaced? And what we find in chapter 11 of Hebrews is that, these are the type these are the men and women who have the type of faith that is not misplaced it's the famous hall of fame of the faithful and we have much to learn from them and so in this passage we'll see the nature of faith the ground of faith the test of faith the goal of faith and finally the experience of faith first the nature of faith what is faith well we're given here in verse 1 some sort of definition now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Which means there is a certainty to faith even though we do not see it, just like what we heard in the kids talk. They did not see it, but they believe. It doesn't mean blind faith. That's often how, how we're caricatured by, by our world. You know, It's blind faith, taking things blindly. But that's not Christian faith. That's just being foolish. And it doesn't mean the absence of evidence or proof or reason or applying the mind. In the Oxford Dictionary, faith is defined as a strong belief in the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual conviction rather than proof. Well, that definition is wrong. That is not the Christian faith. Rather, faith is grounded in something that is certain. And we can be certain about many things in life if you think about it even though we do not see it. For example, how do I have any faith that my wife Yvonne loves me, that she'll never leave me, that she'll be committed to me? How can I trust in her? How is that possible? I mean, I don't see love. I cannot see it. But it's not blind faith, is it? It's grounded in our experience together. It's grounded in the promises she has made. It is certain. And so to trust in anyone, to trust in God, and not knowing anything about God, well, that's just plain stupid. Faith is not a blind leap in the dark, but a step in the light. Now, of course, when it comes to having faith in God, it's somewhat on a different level. Because it is trusting that God can do something that no one else can, just like the creation of the world. And that's what we see here. Verse 3, have a look. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And so it's taking God by faith. You said so, God. You said you made it all, so I'll take you at your word. In fact, if you think about it, whatever you think about the origins of the world, how life came about, the birds and the mosquitoes and the bees and the mountains and the valleys, and the planetary system, and the galaxies, whatever you think about the origins of all things, that, in fact, requires faith. You have to trust something. I mean, it might be taking someone at their word, some scientist, some research, something you've read, or it might even be your own feelings. I mean, people talk about the Big Bang Theory, don't they? Where did all the stuff come from in the first place? That still required faith. And so the question is still, Everyone has faith, everyone expresses faith, but is that faith misplaced? And so in this chapter, in this hall of fame, we see the heroes of faith, the top of faith that is not misplaced, and they were commended for it. And so the nature of faith, now the ground of faith. What is the ground of faith? The foundation, the bedrock of faith. What does faith look like? And you'll notice as we went through, those different characters, those men and women, there's a common theme. Verse 4, Abel served God with a better sacrifice offered in faith. Verse 5, Enoch pleased God because he sought God. Verse 7, Noah listened to God. Verse 8, Abraham obeyed God. Verse 11, Sarah trusted God. What's the common theme? Do you notice? Well, the common theme is this, faith is the ground on which we relate to God. How do we relate to God? Faith is that ground. Faith is the shape of having any relationship with God. Faith is the personal experience of walking with God. It just makes sense. How do we have any connection with God whatsoever? God is up there, we're down here. How can we have any relationship, any connection? It is by faith, which means... I not only trust that God exists intellectually, theologically, but I trust in Him personally and wholeheartedly. Now I'm not sure if you notice there that there's, there's one word that is a key difference. It's not trust that God exists, but it's trust in God personally. It's the difference between trust that and trust in. And it's the grounds of any relationship with God. And that's what we see in this chapter, in the heroes of faith. They were not perfect whatsoever, none of them, far from it. But they trusted in God, not simply that God existed. They trusted in God personally and wholeheartedly. Faith is the shape of any relationship with God. And so it's why Abel was able to offer sacrifice by faith. Why would anyone offer sacrifice to a God whom you do not see? You see, he did not simply trust that God existed, but he trusted in God's worthiness. He trusted in God. And that's why he offered the best, the firstborn. His faith showed that he was walking with God. Same with Enoch, verse 6. Have a look. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You see, you have to believe that God exists. That's, that's a given. But more than that, he sought God. It was personal faith. Noah, by faith, he took God at his word. And we saw that in the kids' talk, didn't we? God said, there will be a flood. Build an ark. And Noah believed so. I mean, you have to imagine what it would have been like for Noah back then. For him to build an ark so far from the sea for, for decades. It took him decades to build the ark. Everyone would have jeered at him and said, sco- What are you doing, Noah? You're a, bit, you're a bit mad here. There's no sea here. There's no rain. But Noah says, God says so, so I'll do so. Faith is that ground of his relationship with God. Likewise with Abraham. God says, go, and Abraham says, I'll go. Even though he could not fully picture what it was that God promised, but faith was the ground of him walking with God. You see, faith is the ground of the shape, the flavor of our relationship with God. How can we say that God loves us? How do we know with any certainty? It is by faith, grounded in what God has said. God relates to us by promising, by speaking, by his word. We respond by faith. We take hold of it. We take him at his word. God speaks. And so do we trust. It's why the Christian faith stands as unique among the world's religions. Consider all the different religions. I remember learning this from my principal, John Woodhouse, in my first year of Bible college. He said, none of the world religions put faith as the dominant center of relationship with God. None of them. In Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, the believer would not claim that the heart of their religion is a matter of belief or not belief. It's not about that at the very heart of their religion. Whether you believe or not, it's not as important as being good, obeying. But the heart of Christianity is a matter of whether you will trust God. God has spoken. Will you take him at his word or will you not? And so faith is the ground of any relationship with God. And we told you there's no pleasing God without faith. And so that's the ground of faith. But now how do we know that our faith in God is for real? It's genuine. It's sincere. How do we know? Well, what we find in chapter 11 was that for the rest of them, they were all tested. Faith is tested for Abraham. I mean, consider the test he underwent. God said to him, I'm promising you, descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, now sacrifice your son. I mean, what a test that would have been. Imagine, imagine lifting a knife to your son. He was tested. But then how did Abraham respond? Verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. He was tested. Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, even on their deathbed, what did they do? What was their last word to their sons? I mean, if you were to have your last words, what would you say? I love you very much, and that would be right. But yet for them, do you see how their faith was tested on their deathbed. You will soon be no more, but do you trust that there is more? Not just for you, but for your descendants. And each one of them showed that they trusted God. Their faith was tested. God will keep his promises. And so Isaac, he blessed Jacob and Esau. Jacob blessed each of his sons. Joseph, even on his deathbed, he was looking forward beyond the exodus, beyond Egypt to something better. And even Moses, we read, I mean, why would you leave the pleasures of the palace and suffer with your people? Why would he do that? Well, his faith was tested, and it was tested and shown genuine. And even Israel, we're told, their faith was tested. Will you trust me as you walk through the Red Sea to two walls of water? Will you trust that they will not collapse and you'll die? Will you trust me as you walk around Jericho seven days? You won't need to use any weapons, no catapults, but on the seventh day, it will come crushing down. Rahab, will you trust me? So do you see the common theme of faith? To show that it's real, it's tested, and each one of them, their faith was tested. And it's always a test, isn't it, faith? Because faith means we're we're tested to do something we would rather not do on our own. Faith always stretches us to get us to do something we would rather not. Why would you step out in faith when it's easier and more comfortable? I mean, Abraham leaving his home, Moses leaving the palace, because faith is saying, well, God, I trust you more than I trust myself. If I trust myself, I'm going to stay. But because I trust you, I will go. And that's the story of Gideon, where we we're told of Gideon towards the end of this chapter. Do you remember the story of Gideon? It's a beautiful story, a wonderful story. How he defeated the Midianite army, 135,000 soldiers. And what did God say? What did God do? Well, he came up with 32,000 men, Gideon. But God said, that army is too big. And so that shrunk to 10,000, and that was still too big. And then in the end, he was left with only 300 men against 135,000 soldiers, and Gideon won. It was tested. Or the story of David and Goliath, you know that story. Or the story of Daniel, will I continue to pray even if it means my life? It was tested, and yet in the end, the mouths of the lions were shut. You see, faith always stretches us to get us to do something we would rather not do on our own. And it's really no different for us today, if you think about it. If we do really trust God, it will be tested. It will be tested. And it will stretch us. Will I pick what is easy and convenient? Or will I do what is right because God says so, and I trust him more? Will I pick the comfortable Or will I choose to do the sacrificial because God says that is better and that is more like Christ? Will I pick the way that conforms to the way of the world? Or will I obey God? You see, faith will be tested. The nature of faith, the ground of faith, the test of faith, now the goal of faith. You see, throughout this chapter, you'll see that they were all looking forward to something better. There is a future aspect to faith. And it is taking hold of the future promises of God. You see, for Abraham, he did not live to see God's promises fulfilled at all. He died well before any of the promises were fulfilled. When God said, go, he did go. But he didn't see the complete fulfillment. It wasn't just some land in the Middle East. Look at verse 10. What was Abraham looking forward to? Verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. You see, the the goal of faith are the future promises of God. And the city of God that Abraham was speaking about is really heaven itself. And so in this hall of fame, they all died. But they all died still believing that there is more. And it is, in fact, how Christians died today. It's why that man came to me after that funeral and he said, I wish I had your faith. I mean, he's hoping for something more. And all those faithful men and women did hope for something more. And so we see verse 13 now. Have a look. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Isn't that interesting? You die in faith. They did not receive the thing's promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Which means if we have such faith, it's it's one where there is a goal that is beyond this world. It, It means then that this world or our home is not our ultimate home. It's not our ultimate home. We've got a home in Surrey Hills. It is not my final destination. It's why the language of being a pilgrim is a very helpful one for Christians to remember. We're pilgrims, strangers, aliens in this world just making our way home. The goal of faith rests on the promises of God. That I'll walk with God now, but I'll continue to walk with God forever. It's why Christian funerals are always so different, so hopeful, And that was the faith of the faithful. Look at verse 16 now. They were longing for a better country. They were longing, even though they died. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And then when you turn to the New Testament, isn't that what Jesus said, something similar to that? In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going there ahead of you to prepare a place for you. It's why later in the list of heroes, towards the end of the chapter, they all had that goal of faith in mind. That even if this world were to take my life, that's okay. I'm just a pilgrim. I'm just passing through from this world to the next. It's the only reason why anyone can make sense of why they would do what they, would, they did. Why anyone would, in their right mind, be like Daniel. I'll pray in defiance of the king's orders. Or just like Daniel's friends. I'll obey God first. I will not bow down, even if I have to face a fiery furnace. Or those in verse 35 now, towards the end, have a look. Those who were tortured and refused to be released why? So that they might gain a better resurrection. Now, now, verse thirty-five most likely was speaking about the Maccabean martyrs. Now, the story goes that a mother was forced by the Greek king Antiochus IV to watch his seven sons tortured and then killed, but she stood there not wavering, because she knew was it a better resurrection. Or those in verses thirty-six and thirty-seven. Why would anyone live that way if you had no hope of the life after? So, verse thirty-six. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. Zechariah was stoned. They were sawn in two. That was Josiah. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. So many. Many faithful will meet their end, their end like that. But of course, for those who have faith in God, it is not the end. Not the end whatsoever. And that's why today, once in a while, I'll, I'll read Barnabas Aid. You'll be aware of that mission organisation. read about the wonderful work they're doing, but also the terrible reports they are reporting. How even today, Christians are still being martyred. Just the other week, the 24th of October... In the Democratic Republic of Congo, 26 Christians were killed by extremists with machetes. They died. It still happens. But you see, they died longing for a better country because this is not home. I mean, I love how the author ends this. Verse 38. The world was not worthy of them. And then our final verses. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us they be made perfect. That is, they were waiting for the coming of the Saviour. The goal of faith is heaven itself, to be with God forever. And I really do think deep down, whether we're atheists or agnostic, we like to believe, at least believe, that there is a heaven or want to believe that there is a heaven, even though we cannot see it. I mean, this life cannot be all there is to this life. It was, in fact, one of those points as a younger teenager what brought me around to see that there has to be more. God has to be real. We don't just live our 70, 80, 90 years of life working, studying, eating, sleeping, and then we die in the end, and that is it. In fact, I spoke to someone yesterday at the community day. It reflected such a similar belief. How they came around to faith. There there has to be more. And I wonder whether some of you feel that way this morning. That you're longing, searching for something more inside. There's this sense of eternity inside. That your heart cannot even contain. A desire that cannot be fulfilled in this world. It was what convinced C.S. Lewis, you know, that Oxford professor, the author of the Narnia series. He was an atheist guy, an atheist man, who became a Christian, and he said this. He said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. There's this inner longing, this sense of eternity that cannot be fulfilled in this world. He said, all the joys we enjoy on earth are pointing to something greater. Our deep longings are not fantasy, but they are pointing to our true home. And he went on to say this. He said, Earthly joys are the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. And what is faith in God? Faith in God is trusting in that promise that that scent, that tune, that news is heaven itself, the goal of faith. Now finally, the experience of faith. Because you see, when we read Hebrews 11, it's very easy for us to think, I don't have extraordinary faith like them. And the temptation will be for us all to leave today and to think, well, that's them, but that's not me. I don't have faith like that. But I want to say our experience of faith in God is not too dissimilar to theirs. And what I mean is this. You see, to have faith is frightening. If we're honest with ourselves, it is on one level frightening. There is a fear about having faith because to have faith in God means then that there is someone who is far more powerful than I am. That rocks us at our very core. It means then that if there is such faith in such a God, I'm not at the center of the world. I'm not number one. And that there is a God I must give account to. And the fearful thing about faith is that if it is for real, it then has to mean complete surrender to God. And that's frightening. Imagine surrendering completely to another person. To trust that God knows best. To trust that God's ways are always best. To trust that God always means me best. And even, even if I'm in the pits of life, to trust that God will not abandon me. I mean, that's what faith is, isn't it? It's frightening because it's complete surrender to God. It's not my way, it's your way. It's not my will, it's your will. It's like that old hymn, I surrender all. You know, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. And in one sense, we heard that in Linda's testimony today, isn't it? Surrendering her life to Jesus. And if I completely surrender my whole life, my my whole weight, I fall upon Jesus, I collapse upon him, I can trust that he will not drop me, but he can carry my weight a million times over. That's the experience of faith. I surrender myself completely on him. Not hedging my bets on anything else. It's not living life as though, okay, God, you've got 50%. I've got 50% of this. It's not hedging my bets where I've got 50% in God, I've got 20% in a different religion, 5% in a different one, and the rest on me. It is 100% God. No other backup plan. Just like Abraham. God... You say go, I'll go 100%. No, God, you said, you said build, I'll build 100%. You see, faith might be terrifying because it does mean complete surrender to God. And that's not really extraordinary faith. It's in fact normal, ordinary Christian faith. That is our experience. But here comes the comfort. Because who are we entrusting ourselves to? It's not just anyone. That would be foolish. But to the God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, for you and me. I mean, just like that song I flagged last week, there's nothing more that heaven can give. You want to know, God says to us, you want to know why you can trust me? Why you should surrender your whole life, your whole weight upon me? Because I've given you everything. I've given you my son. Do you trust me? You see, if God could not keep his promises, it would be, we're wasting our time. But God does, he is faithful. And so the man who came to me after that funeral, I mean, just imagine what was going through his mind during the service. As he saw the coffin up here, as the body was lying in the coffin, you'd be thinking, he'll be thinking, he's confronted by his own mortality. Can I now? Trust in science when my time comes. Can I trust in myself when I breathe my last? Can I trust in anything else at all? Or can I or must I trust? Have faith in not anyone but the God who has given us his son and completely surrender to him. And it means then I fall into his everlasting arms and he'll keep me safe even when that time comes for me. You see, there's no greater comfort, is there? To live by faith like the faithful men and women, and to die by faith. And so the question I asked at the beginning, and for you to reflect on, the question is still, we all have faith, you have faith, but is your faith misplaced? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for how you are the faithful God, trustworthy and true. And we thank you for the examples of those before us, who've gone before us, who lived and died by faith. Help us, Lord, to exercise such a faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen.